Shalom, and welcome to Kehilat Rosh Pina, a dynamic, multicultural, and growing Messianic Jewish congregation located in the heart of Oklahoma City and led by Rabbi Michael Weigand. Our goal is to bring you the message of the Word each week from a Jewish perspective and to exalt Messiah Yeshua as Lord and Savior overall. We are a loving congregation made up of both Jew and Gentile, now one in the Messiah, with Shabbat morning services at 10.40 a.m. and various studies throughout the week. Please come and join us next time you are in Oklahoma City. We would love to have you. And now, we hope you enjoy today's message. My message for us today as we prepare for the Lord's Supper really is going to connect with three Hebrew language words that are taken from uh, the Torah. And as we go deeper into the the topic that's on my heart, um, I just pray that we will be receptive to what the Holy Spirit might be saying to us. And I've sensed already in our service uh, through the liturgy and the worship time that he is continually, to, continually calling us to a deeper walk with him. How many of you got that out of it? He's calling us to a deeper walk with him. And it's, it's really a no-nonsense kind of thing, a no-frills kind of thing. It's a, a walk with him, a spiritual walk with him that literally changes every area of our lives. And central to that is the Bible, the scriptures, the Kitve Kodesh, however you want to call them, is the scripture. And I, and I pray and hope, and I do know that many of us are delving into the Word of God on a, a, a daily basis, if not a nearly day, daily basis, and that's very important for us. And when we study scripture, the Bible, however you want to call it, and we start at Sefer Bereshit, the book of Genesis, and, and, we, and we end and we go all the way to the end, which is Hit Galut, the, the book of Revelation, we encounter numerous truths and principles that if we seriously look at them and carefully examine them, we realize that these truths and these principles are actually important for our life. They can be a deep and a strong help for us, a, a helpful thing in our life if we apply the words of Scripture to us. And we can learn much about the Lord himself as we read Scripture. We, he's revealed initially as the, the creator of the universe. And as we read through all the books of the Bible and the uh, English Bibles, there are 66 books. As we read through those books, we learn more and, about, more, and more about the Lord. Not only is he the creator, but he's also the, the sovereign. I, I like the King James in the New Covenant says the sovereign potentate. <laughs> now, how many, honestly, how many use the word potentate this week in your daily conversation? Probably none of us. Simply means, it means he's the powerful ruler of eternity. He's the sovereign potentate, as King James might have said. And we're also taught as we read scripture that there's nothing too difficult for him. And the word nothing means nothing. There's nothing too difficult for him. And let me say this to you today, to you hearing these words, that whatever you're facing in your life is not too difficult for God, whatever it might be. And I know if you're like me, you've, you've probably had some times, or maybe even you're going through it now, where you think, is there any way through this? 
how am I going to get past this? How am I going to get through this? Well, just keep in mind, if you read Scripture and carefully examine what Scripture says, nothing is too difficult for him. Another way that is said in the Brit Chalashah in the New Covenant is that nothing is impossible with God. So that, in a sense, it, it, it beckons us to set our, our sights high and look to him for great things because he does great things. And look to him for that because nothing's too difficult for him. And, of course, Scripture, if you read through Scripture, and again, this is more or less a review of what we can encounter as we read Scripture, it proclaims throughout its pages, sometimes very obviously, other times less obviously, but it proclaims throughout all the pages of Scripture that God is impeccably blameless in all his ways. And, you know, I didn't know how to say that impeccably blameless, even that seems to fall short of his grandeur, of his, his, his perfection, of his, his blamelessness. And, and, you know, he's also, as it tells us, he's just and he's righteous and he's true in all of his ways. As we read through Scripture, these type of character traits of the Lord pop out. We begin to see those emanating from his, him being the creator. The, uh, can I say it again? I might never say this word again. I don't know. The sovereign potentate. There you go. And that's our Lord. And as we get towards the end of the book, in the Hahit Kalut, in the Revelation, the book of Revelation, in Revelation chapter 15, beginning with verse 3, there is a scene there. You would think that this wouldn't be there, but it is there. There's a scene there that links Moshe, Moses, with the Lamb of God, Yeshua. Now, they live centuries apart. They didn't live at the same era in history. But here at this last book, the book of Revelation, we find Moses and Yeshua, the Lamb of God, as he's called, linked together. Here's what it says. And they were singing, and they are singing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. And they're singing, and they're saying, great and wonderful are your deeds, Adonai Elohei Tzavot. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who shall not fear and glorify your name, O Lord? For you alone are holy. All the nations shall come and worship before you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. Now, what a song that is when you think about it. It says, and they're singing, the, here's this song of Moses and the Lamb, and they're proclaiming what? The great and wonderful ways of the Lord, his deeds, and the fact that he is, can I say it again, the sovereign potentate. He's the king of all the nations. And then they describe what is the very core of his character and being. They said, for you alone are holy. Kadosh, that's you, O Lord. Now, just before his death, we go back to Parashat Ha'azinu, back in the book of Devarim, Deuteronomy chapter 32, we find where it says the song of Moses in Revelation 15 is not so out of character with Moses, and it's hard for me to imagine this, and the picture that comes to my mind is really, you know, a, a, an unusual picture, but here's this aged man, Moses, at 120, just about... 120 years old, there he is singing 
And he sings, a, the Hebrew language calls it a shirah, a canticle, a song. And we read in Deuteronomy Devarim chapter 32, some of this I'll share with you, that this song of Moses says, for I proclaim the name of the Lord. And then there are these three Hebrew words. Ascribe greatness to our God. And it continues in verse 4 of Deuteronomy chapter 32. And it says, he is the rock. By the way, is he the rock of your life? That's who he is. Don't make him the pebble that you stand on. He is the rock. He's the one that you can hide behind. He's the one that is your strength. He is the rock. His work is perfect, for all his ways are justice, a God of truth and without injustice. And then there's three more Hebrew words, Sadiq Vayasharhu, it says in the Hebrew language. Righteous and upright is he. And the song continues from there, and it's quite a ballad. <laughs> It's quite a song. If you read through, and we don't have time to go through today, but when we get, God willing, we get to Parashat Hazinu, perhaps we will in Shabbaton. So Moses sings this song. It's, I don't want to say it's his swan song, but it's kind of like his last song to the children of Israel. So when we read in Revelation 15, the song of Moses, there are several times in the Torah where Moses is said to be singing. Now, I know that there are some here among us who absolutely love to sing to the Lord. All right, let me recognize you. How many of you love to sing to the Lord? All right, good. And I'm not going to ask for a show of hands on the others, but how many of you go silent at the singing point in the service? And we shouldn't. <laughs> if it was good enough for Moses, it should be good enough for us. And also it says that just before, uh, right after the, uh, the Lord's Supper, which will be commemorated today, Right afterwards, it says they sang a hymn, probably from the, you know, Psalm 118 or so in the, in the uh, Mizmorim and the Tehillim and the Psalms. They sang a hymn before Yeshua went out into Gethsemane. So singing is part of the equation here. And I'm so thankful when I'm able to gather with you all each Shabbat to hear joyful songs going up to the Lord, most of all the song of our heart. But then the song of Moses in Devarim, Deuteronomy chapter 32, and if you get a chance to read through all that, it's quite a song, as I mentioned. But then his shira, his song as it's called, has a remarkable three Hebrew worded prophetic statement that comes at the end of this song. It's found in Devarim, Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 43, and it says this, and this is the main topic for us here, these next three Hebrew words. Vechiper admato amo. Vechiper admato amo. It's translated in most of the translations, he will provide atonement for his land and his people. He will provide atonement for his land and his people. Now, those three Hebrew language words have been the subject of considerable rabbinic debate for centuries. Now, what could be so difficult about three Hebrew words? But it's been the subject of considerable rabbinic debate over the centuries and some considerable disagreement as to how to interpret those three words. The debate centers on just the underlying meaning of those three Hebrew words. Those of you familiar with Hebrew, and this is certainly not a Hebrew lesson here, but those familiar with the Hebrew, you'll probably notice something immediately. 
the original Hebrew does not place the Hebrew letter vav, which means most of the time the word and, between his land, Admato, and the second word, Amo, his people. It's translated, he will provide atonement for his land and his people, but the word and is not in the Hebrew text. It's interesting. So literally, the translation is, and this is where the rabbinic debate has come for centuries over just this three letter, three Hebrew words. Literally, the words mean he will atone for his land, his people. He will atone for his land, his people. The and is not in there. It's not in the Hebrew. It's been inserted into the English text. Really to make it flow. It's no criticism of translators. But to make it flow, because it's a little awkward to say he will atone for his land, his people. It makes more sense, at least to the English language, to say he will atone for his land and his people. Now the word and there is important. So when translating the Hebrew of these three words, there is nothing, please listen to this, there is nothing disconnecting the land and the people in that text. Even though it says in English he will, uh, he will provide atonement for his land and his people, it actually says he will provide atonement, he will atone for his land, his people. There's no disconnect, and this is an important point, between his land his people, it's there. He will provide atonement for his land, his people, and they're linked together, his land and his people. No word end between them. Inseparable connection in the Hebrew text from the Torah of his land, his people. Now, <laughs> how I wish the United Nations would come to understand that from God's point of view, there is no separation between the God of Israel, the land of Israel, the people of Israel. There's no separation. Long time ago, I, in fact, it's so long ago that I listened to this on a cassette. Who knows what a cassette is here today? <laughs> and it was the late Catherine Kuhlman. Who's heard of Catherine Kuhlman? All right. Interesting person, really. But, and, and she did a teaching, and I was flabbergasted by this teaching that so far back there, she kind of got this. And she called the connection of the God of Israel, the land of Israel, and the people of Israel, she called it a, a triunity, a triunity, an inseparable triunity. She used the term trinity, by the way, an inseparable trinity. And I listened to this, and I listened to it again, and I listened to it again and said, she gets this. She gets it. The God of Israel, the people of Israel, and the land of Israel should not be separated. Now, this triunity is not meant to be put asunder by the U.N., the USA, or any other part of the alphabet. It's not meant to be put, put, up, put asunder. And sadly, even now, and I say this with a, a broken heart about this, even now, people in high governmental places 
here in this country and in other nations of the world are working feverishly to cause some kind of separation between the Jewish people and the Jewish state, the land of Israel. And of course, they would just as soon not even think about the God of Israel. They're working feverishly to make this separation. And even back in the Torah, and he will provide for his land, his people, the land and the people are linked together. There's no vav between them. A vav, if you're familiar with Hebrew, is a wall. It's a stick up and down. There's no wall there between his land and his people. Now, I can't help but think that there are some other biblical principles that may apply to the alphabet soup that tries to separate the Jewish people from the Jewish state, the land of Israel. And, I, I, and I, this verse came to me, and maybe you're familiar with this verse. It says in the prophets, woe to those who divide his land. Woe to those who divide his land. And I'm imploring you today to be praying for our nation, for the leadership in Washington, D.C., for the leadership all the, all the way down. Be praying for our leaders that they won't make this very serious mistake where God doesn't put that wall of separation, that vav up between his land, his people. He doesn't put that up, and we may be trying governmentally and through the U.N. and through other Sources may be trying to put that wall up that God doesn't really mean for there to be. And perhaps the psalmist <laughs> was pondering such vain conspiracies against the Lord and his plan when he wrote in Psalm 2, beginning with verse 2. And notice the first phrase. The kings, the rulers, the sovereign potentates, the kings, the rulers of earth set themselves up and rulers conspire together against Adonai and against his anointed one. Notice that link, Adonai, Meshicho, his anointed one. And they say, let's rip their chains apart and throw their ropes off us. And verse 4 is one of the most classic verses in the psalm, in my opinion. When we read the scripture and we want to learn about God, well, here's something that you don't hear much talked about, but it says, he who sits in heaven, he laughs. He laughs. It's a laugh of derision, not a laugh of humor. It's a laugh of derision. It's like, <laughs> what do they think they're doing? He who sits in heaven laughs. Adonai mocks them, those that would come against him and his anointed. He mocks them. And then verse 5, this text takes quite a turn in verse 5 in Tehillim uh, Bet in Psalm 2. In verse 5 it says, so he will speak to them in his tender mercy and love? No. He will speak to them in his anger. And it doesn't stop there, by the way. Notice the double emphasis here. He will speak to them in his anger and terrify them in his fury. And then there's this. I have set up my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. In other words, <laughs> he will speak to them in his fury and terrify them in his judgment. 
in his fury, uh, in his anger, judgment is coming. God will have the final word in this. And I hope we always remember in every issue of our life, God has the final word. Let him have the final word in every area of your life. If you wonder what that final word is, dig into the scripture. Get on your face and pray to God and say, Lord, what are you trying to tell me? Lord, bring your will to bear. Bring your point across. Give me your word. Let me know what you desire from me. And you will be much better off if that's the course you take in life than, you, than taking the course that the kings of the earth in Psalm 2 take. They conspire, they set themselves up, conspire against the Lord. Now, if you wonder what does it mean when God says he will speak to them in his anger, frankly, I don't want to be on the other side of that. <laughs> And I pray you don't either. You don't want to be on the other side of the fierce anger of the Lord, the fury of the Lord. And we get to just a remez, a hint of what that means by a statement in Messianic Jews in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 31 where it says, it is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Now, there's much we can say about modern society but this, this is true, that when people turn away from the fear of the Lord, they're turning away from that which is wise and cleansing in their life. When people no longer fear the Lord, then it's carte blanche. They think they can do anything they want. There's no one to answer to anymore except themselves and self-gratification and satisfaction. So it is a terrifying thing, the writer of Messianic Jew, Jew said, to fall into the hands of El Chai, the living God. And not only are the God, land, and people of Israel inseparable, but as I read through Psalm 2, I also mentioned this. The Lord and Meshicho, his anointed one, they are also inseparable. The Lord and his anointed king are inseparable in this text. There is one king of the universe, there's one Lord and one Savior in all, of all, and as Acts chapter 4 verse 12 tells us, there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. That name is Yeshua, Jesus the Messiah, the anointed king, Meshicho his anointed one, his Messiah. And he's the Messiah, he's the King, he's the Savior and Lord, he's all in all, however you want to express that, but that's who he is. And he's meant to be that over every area of our life. He's meant to be King over every area of our lives. Whether it's our pocketbook, whether it's our home, whether it's when we're driving down the highway, and I know sometimes that's one of the worst trials driving down the road. He's meant to be Lord over our life, over our thought life, over our heart, that we, we would seek, seek after him and search for him with all our heart. And we know when we do that that we will find him because that's the promise of God. Now, Rob Shaul, whom we commonly call Paul, Paul was a man of the first century who was steeped in the highest levels of the existing Torah teaching and understanding of that generation with Gamaliel as his teacher. The highest level of first century Torah study, that was him. That's where Paul came from. That's where Rav Shaul, Rabbi Saul of Tarsus, came from. And he wrote in Ephesians chapter 4, beginning with verse 1, 
somewhat of a self-revelation here. He says, therefore, I, a prisoner for the Lord, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you were called. In verse 2 of Ephesians chapter 4, with complete humility and gentleness. Yes, the next two words are in there, with patience. (laughs) Yes, the next statement's in there too. And as I was studying this, boy, a lot of conviction came to me as I was studying this next section. Putting up with one another in love. Have you ever had to put up with someone in love? Have you been able to do it? I'll go on to the next one. Making every effort to keep the unity of the spirit, the unity of Ruach in the bond of Shalom. I've noticed that the Lord is, he doesn't really mess around. Can I use the vernacular? He doesn't mess around when people cause disunity. I've seen him over and over again deal with them. One way or the other, he removes them, he deals with them, he humbles them one way or the other. Don't be found in that lot making every effort. What are we supposed to do? We're to make every effort to keep the unity of the Ruach in the bond of Shalom. And then Rav Shaul, this this Torah-steeped student of Scripture, in verse 4 says, there is one body and one Ruach, one spirit. And then it says, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. And he continues, he said, there's one Lord, one faith, one immersion, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all. And some texts say, and it's good to say this down here in the south, and it says, in you all. That's what it says. But this text says, and in all, in you all. And that amazing list that he has there that describes the the basics of our faith and what Scripture teaches about there being one Lord, one faith, one immersion, one God, Father and all, who is over all and through all, etc. Don't miss the next verse, though. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7. After he says all that, he brings it to the real point here. But to each one of us, Can I change that to you? But to each one of you, grace was given in keeping with the measure of Messiah's gift. Yes, there's one faith, one Lord, one immersion, one God and Father and all, who is over all and through all and in all, but he has given his grace to you. But to each one of us, grace was given in keeping with the measure of Messiah's gift. So he who is Lord and he is king of all and he's savior of all mankind, he's also the one, uniquely so. He's the one who gives to his people a precious gift, a precious gift. That gift we call in the English language grace. Will you say that word with me? Grace. What a beautiful word that is. Now, Paul's statement concerning Messiah's gift of of, of grace to his people it seems to meld seamlessly with something another apostle, another shaliah, Yochanan said in John chapter 1. He wrote in John chapter 1, verse 16, says, out of his fullness, his is Messiah, out of his fullness, we have all received, and, and John describes it as this, grace on top of grace. Some translations say grace upon grace. Layers of grace. Have you received layers of grace from the Lord? His grace is sufficient for you, and sometimes there needs to be a little more, how do I say it, sufficiency given to you. 
But have you received an abundance of his grace? How many can honestly say you have received an abundance of grace from the Lord? My hand, feet, eyes, ears, everything goes up. And then it continues, Yochanan in John chapter 1. This again is another shaliach, another apostle writing, saying similar ideas to what Paul wrote. In verse 17, it says, Torah was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Yeshua the Messiah. The idea there is grace and truth were lived out, exemplified through Yeshua the Messiah. He lived these things out right in front of them. So, friends, how should we live out in front of those around us? We should live out in front of those around us, live out our lives with grace and with truth, being central bulwarks for our faith. Now, the Amplified Version, how many of you are familiar with the Amplified Bible? <laughs> Did anyone ever finish reading the Amplified Bible? <laughs> but the Amplified Version uh, states in, in very characteristic verbiage, and it has lots of verbiage. It states in John chapter 1, verses 16 and 17 in a very informative manner, in my opinion. Here's what it says, that same passage I just read, John 1, 16 through 17. Again, let me read it to you again. Out of his fullness, we have all received grace on top of grace. Torah was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Yeshua the Messiah. The Amplified Bible, which makes as its goal to give the sense of the Greek language expression there. The Amplified Bible says it like this. For out of his fullness, the superabundance of his grace and truth... We have all received grace upon grace, spiritual blessing upon spiritual blessing, favor upon favor, and gift heaped upon gift. Now, I like that. How many of you like that? <laughs> and then it continues in verse 17. Again, this is the amplified version of John 1, verse 17. For the law was given through Moses, but grace, the unearned, undeserved favor of God, and truth came through Jesus the Messiah. Now, the final phrase, as we conclude here, the final phrase of the song of Moses found way back in Deuteronomy chapter 32 that I mentioned briefly in the beginning, where it mentions his land, his people, but only after declaring something that I skipped over, you may have noticed it declaring with kind of a triumphant certainty, Moshe in his last breath states these things with triumphant certainty. It says, he will provide atonement as it's often translated. He will atone. He will provide atonement. Now, Moshe in his last hours, his last breath, he had no doubt that the Almighty One who had delivered the people out of Egypt, and remember who was delivered, not only Am Israel, the people of Israel, but also a mixed multitude, some Egyptians and others that came out along with the people of Israel. And as they came out from Egypt, both Am Israel, the people of Israel, and the, the uh, as they call the mixed multitude, as the English language uses that uh, Hapax Agamemnon, that, that term that's only used once concerning the multitude, the mixed multitude, it says that he would provide atonement for his people. That's what's clarified in Deuteronomy chapter 32. So not only is God, the God of Israel, mighty, all-powerful, just, true, 
blameless in his ways, however else you want to describe him according to what Scripture says. But Moshe was saying he's going to repair. He's going to provide atonement. He himself's going to provide atonement, and it'll be atonement that fully satisfies the demands of God's own blameless and holy nature. No person, no human being can satisfy those demands. God is utterly holy. He's utterly blameless. There's no fault in him. His ways are direct and sure and true. But it says he will provide atonement. Now, friends, it's true that only God himself could satisfy his own holiness and satisfy his own blameless standards and provide atonement. No one else could do it. And we're tipped off in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 with these uh, words in verse 17. Encouraging words, especially if you've committed your life to the Lord. These are very encouraging words. Some of us have been living these words out. It says, therefore, if anyone, in verse 17 of 2 Corinthians 5, is united with the Messiah, he is a new creation. Now, the old English says he's a new creature. So, I don't know if I want to call you a creature, but he's a new creation. And then it continues, the old has passed. Look, what has come is fresh and new. And it is all from God who through the Messiah has reconciled us to himself and has given us the work of that reconciliation, which is in verse 19, that God in the Messiah was reconciling mankind to himself. And hallelujah for this next statement. Not counting their sins against them. And entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Do you rejoice as I do today as I think of that phrase that Rapshaw wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19, where he says that Messiah laid down his life, who has reconciled mankind to himself, not counting their sins against them. But he paid the price. We're going to remember him today, the great price he paid to ransom our souls from the pit of hell. He paid the price, the ransom for us. We must not forget that. We must remember that he suffered the consequences. He suffered for us. He suffered the eternal consequences for our sin. Now, the ways of the living God, as I began this message, they are revealed throughout the Scripture. I encourage you to be students of the Scripture, to study them diligently and, and, and prayerfully. You know, one of the best places to study the Scripture, you know where it is? It's not here at the library at Rosh Pina. It's not necessarily in your car when you're at the stoplight. The best place to study the Scripture is on your knees before God with your Bible open. Try it. Have your Bible open. Get on your face before God and begin reading the Scripture and ask Him, Lord, you're the teacher. Teach me. What would you show me today from your Word? And the more that we bypass those type of mechanisms in our lives, spiritual mechanism, the, the, the less we will profit. We need to more and more avail ourselves in this darkening world of the ways of the light of the Lord that we have before us. And Scripture from the creation narrative and Sefer Bereshit 
all the way to the final declarations of Ahit Galut, the revelation, the book of Revelation, continue to affirm God and his character, who he is and what he did. And now that Yeshua sacrificed himself once and for all for our sins, yours and mine, and actually for every person you've ever seen or met, he died for them. Do they know that? I don't know. It's our task. He committed to us the ministry of reconciliation, telling people there's a way that leads not to death, and that's through faith in Yeshua. He's the way, the truth, and the life. But he has provided atonement, chiper, he has provided atonement to all who will trust in his name. And I pray that's you hearing these words today. And if that is you, then you have great reason to rejoice today. It goes well beyond a football game. It goes well beyond a basketball game. It goes well beyond a, a bonus in your check. It goes well beyond all that. We have great reason to rejoice, to rejoice because everyone who repents and turns their life to Yeshua, will experience new life in him and begin this spiritual journey that leads to good things, the, the good things he has for us. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard what good things God has laid up for those who love him. Are you in that group? Do you love him today? If you love him, you will keep what Yeshua said, his commandments. Now, this new life will still have its challenges. And maybe that's you today. You're facing some significant challenges. Financial, health, uh, social, maybe a familial stuff in your family. You're facing significant challenges. But you have an ally. You have one who mediates for you. You have one who's a, a friend that sticks closer than a brother. And that's our Messiah, Yeshua. And let me read what he said. What Rob Shul said concerning this in Romans chapter 8, beginning with verse 37, truly some of the most brilliant passages in Romans. But in all these things, read it with me, please. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Let's read that verse again together. And please take it to heart. If you're facing something today, take this to heart. Let's read it together, just that first verse. But in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And then the apostle continues, and he says this with conviction. For I am convinced, I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come. Did you notice that sometimes we really lose it over the things to come? And I won't ask for a show of hands, but do we have any worriers here? <laughs> I'm putting my hand down, by the way. <laughs> nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Messiah Yeshua, our Lord. We rejoice because God's love and his repentant people cannot be separated. The God of Israel, the land of Israel, the people of Israel should not be separated, and we cannot be separated from the love of God if we walk with him. Now, I conclude with this, these words from Yeshua. When we speak about rejoicing, I'm reminded of this parable. It's in Luke chapter 15, begins with verse 8. It's in a series of parables, but this one in particular says, Or which woman... Or which woman, if she has ten silver coins and loses one coin, does not light a lamp, 
sweep the house and search thoroughly until she finds it. <laughs> That's a lot of activity for one coin, isn't it? <laughs> or which woman, if she has 10 silver coins and loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search throughout thoroughly until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me, for I found the coin I had lost. In the same way, I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. My friends here today, maybe you've been losing your way spiritually some. The ways of this world have not only seeped into your life, but they're coming in like a flood now. This Shabbat, this Shabbat is an opportunity here in this sanctuary to, to stave that off to make a stand in your own heart for Yeshua the Messiah. Perhaps you just feel like the walls of life are coming in on you. This Shabbat is a time to relinquish all your cares and worries, to lay them at the feet of the tree, the cross, and to declare in your heart of hearts, Yeshua, you are my Lord. Nothing can separate us from your love. Nothing can separate me. Or perhaps you've been a person that you've just been overwhelmed, overwhelmed by, the, by life, by life, the bills, the traffic, the everything. There's great hope for you because the Lord has promised that if we seek and search for him with all our heart, we'll find him. He has promised that if we cry out to them, he will hear our cry. And I encourage you, cry out to him. Don't carry all these burdens yourself. Lay them before him. Give them to him. He's greater, wiser. He's the sovereign potentate. He's the greatest, the wisest, the almighty one. And he can do a creative miracle if that's what he decides to do. Give it all to him here today. I would, wouldn't even like to think about anyone leaving this sanctuary today and carrying the same burdens in that you brought in, carrying them out. Leave them at the foot of the tree. He cares for you today. So as we partake of the Lord's Supper, ask yourself, ask yourself if you have regularly and faithfully been acknowledging his lordship in your life. If you've been acknowledging the greatness of God and, and trusting him, acknowledge that. And then also proclaim in your heart of hearts that you're more than a conqueror through him who loves you. No matter what may come down the pike, you're more than a conqueror through him who loves you. And may we remember as we partake of these elements here, these symbols of what he did for us, may we remember that it's because of his suffering that our sins are forgiven. And that was a heavy price. I'm convinced we don't know the half of what Yeshua went through for each of us today. Will you bow your heads and pray, please, as we prepare our hearts for the Lord's Supper. Lord, we praise you this day and thank you for so great a salvation, for grace and truth piled on each other for your people, for your instruction in your word, whether it's the instruction of Torah or the prophets or the writings of the Brit Chadashah. Thank you that you didn't leave us as orphans not only did you give us your word, but you also give to your people your Ruach HaKodesh, your Holy Spirit. Lord, as we partake of these elements, please search us, Lord. 
Change us where we need changing. Help us where we need your help. And Lord, especially mobilize us so that we redeem the time and don't let the time while away so that when our last breath comes, we are horrified that we did not redeem the time. Thank you, Lord, for all that's represented in these elements here. In Yeshua's name, amen. You've been listening to the Shabbat message from Rosh Pina Messianic Jewish Congregation in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. We would love to have you visit us. Our weekly services begin at 1040 a.m. each Shabbat, and we are located at 2600 Northwest 55th Place, north of Northwest Expressway at the corner of Northland Avenue and Northwest 55th Place. We meet each Shabbat for wonderful praise and worship with dance, liturgy, teaching, food, fellowship, excellent children's programs, and Bible studies on Tuesday nights. For more information, please visit our website, www.roshpinah.org. That's R-O-S-H-P-I-N-A-H dot O-R-G. You can also reach us by phone at 405-842-1967 or email us at info at roshpinah.org. Thank you for spending time in the Word with us today. Shabbat Shalom and blessings in Messiah Yeshua.